This is The Antidote with Dave Hawkins, where Christian music doesn't suck. Long-time listeners to The Antidote will recognize that song, Darkstrand Hibaksa, from Silent Planet's The Night God Slept album. In my opinion, that was the best metal release of 2014. It intelligently deals with tough issues such as sex trafficking, historical abuse of First Nations peoples, war, the disconnect between the nature of Christianity and how it's portrayed in First World Nations. These are really heady topics that are meant to challenge traditional mindsets. So just so you're aware, some listeners might find parts of tonight's discussion uncomfortable as Garrett Russell of Silent Planet meets with The Antidote for a deep conversation about the band's music and the night God slept. 
The Antidote meets with an incredible lyricist, Garrett Russell of Silent Planet. Good to talk with you again, Garrett. Oh, it's great to talk to you too, Dave. Thanks for having me. I'm always interested to know the background of a band. What's the story for Silent Planet? Yeah, um, I started the band in 2009 when I was in college. And um, the band just kind of, you know, went through different lineup variations and stuff. And uh, a lot changed. And I kind of figured out what I wanted to really do with it. And uh, started touring pretty consistently in 2013. And uh, signed to Solid State last year and put out our first album. And uh, we've just been touring relentlessly this year, and we're going to put out a record next year. And I understood that you've just lost one of your band members, Igor. He's uh, yeah. left the band. Yeah, yeah. Igor, um, he's back in Toronto uh, with friends and family. And uh, we, we all stay in contact and stuff. And we're still friends, which is good. And are you planning on doing a replacement for him? Um, no, not not necessarily. Uh, we've always had uh, the guy who's been uh, through the whole of this band, Spencer. Um, we've always been the ones writing music, and uh, Spencer's going to continue to be a part of this in the same way. So um, yeah, we're, we're not necessarily replacing anyone. Well, I guess I should mention that I've got a really biased view of your band. Since I've been a fan of Silent Planet since I heard your first EP, Come Wind, Come Weather. Wow, that's crazy. I can't believe that you uh, that you heard it. <laughs> well, that's cool. Thank you for listening to it. <laughs> oh, no, my pleasure. That was quite a debut that you put out then. But, I mean, with that debut, how far do you think Silent Planet's progressed since then? Um, I guess quite a bit, I guess, in every sense. This next album we're working on is the first truly collaborative musical effort where everyone's very involved. And um, that's really fun to, you know, honestly, finally kind of have a lineup of people who are so invested in what we're doing and, and working so hard that, you know, that, that everyone kind of shares a piece of what's going on. That, that's a really special thing for me. So in the past, you've always been the primary songwriter. I have, yeah. I, I've always been the, the lyric and, and vocal person, um, and Spencer's Keen has been the primary music writer. Since Garrett and I were talking about the beginnings of the band, here's A Flood Strong Enough to Consume the House from Silent Planet's first release, Come Wind, Come Weather.
you know, I'm often really drawn towards music that carries a dark theme. Is that the intention of Silent Planet to create that kind of dark-toned music? Yes, it is. Yeah, Spencer, who is the primary, um, he, he writes the music, uh, has always kind of had a had an interest in writing kind of the darker sort of music. And um, I guess I, I'm very influenced by the music that he writes because I'm always writing lyrics to his music. So I think it's it's a really interesting um, thing that I've um, spoken about with the guys. But you know, the music influences the lyrics, and the lyrics start to define the music and it's a very fun, kind of interesting relationship that we're engaged in. You know, one of the most unusual things I think I find about Silent Planet is that you guys seem to have more of a punk mentality than metal. That's interesting. Well, really, virtually all your music is really a rant against problems in society, either past or current. Yeah, I guess I guess our, you know, I guess I, I see what you mean by rant. I think I think for us the goal is instead of just kind of blindly, you know, raging against that, oh, we're so mad at this, I want to get in the shoes of people who are oppressed and, and see the world from their view, which I can never fully do, but that's kind of the goal is to, to bring a narrative perspective to these issues. Because um, I think anyone can talk on and on about how they feel about stuff, but I guess for me the challenge has been to understand what it means uh, more holistically for someone to be oppressed. How difficult is that for you to do? Here we are coming from a first world, you know, fairly entitled society. Very, very much. And, and I'm, I, I have lived with all the privilege of being a white male in America. And I can tell you outright that I come from a place of privilege. Um, and I, I'm aware of that. And I think most people who listen to this genre come from a place of privilege. And so in, in such a, an arena of privilege, I, I think... The goal is just to uh, to give a voice to people who don't have a voice, to try to give a voice, you know. I'm sure I fail a lot, but I'm, I'm definitely going to keep trying, you know.
trying to do write intelligent lyrics, but the unfortunate thing is I once heard somebody describing your music as being pretentious. I mean, you've got to get angry about hearing comments like that. <laughs> yeah, I read that review. Dude from uh, AP Magazine. I guess that they wanted us to write about breakups like everyone else. I don't know. I think any time that you stand out, people are going to try to hammer down the nail that sticks out. And I'm aware that what we're doing probably sticks out a little bit and probably going to piss some people off, which is pretty sweet. Pretty fun. Yeah. That's always been an issue that I've got with music because so much of it to date really lacks depth. I don't know. Are you guys intending to intellectualize music? Mm, Definitely add depth. I think, um, honestly, we care, I guess. We really... We really want to give a shit, and I think um, a lot of bands and stuff, as I've as I've seen, we've kind of witnessed how a lot of music works. It's kind of just like cool riff, cool riff, you know. Throw together some riffs, you know. Oh man, like I here's the you. build up, here's the breakdown, and it's pretty surface level. And I think that you can write music that really the parts work together and they're cohesive, and that there's structure and that there's thought behind it. And it's a shame, you know, when you see people kind of upset that you're putting thought behind it. Then that sort of brings up another point. Do you think that the commercialization of music could also stifle its creativity? Absolutely. 120%. I've been a witness to how money, I think, ruins artistic expression, whether it's how the genre um, and the industry that we're in is in so many ways set up to make sure that artists fail and in the process of artists failing. Um, managers and labels and agents uh, make all the money while um, they fail. And it obviously, uh, we're very happy with the people that we work with. That's not like a statement about our particular. I've just seen it happen to a lot of artists. And uh, it's it's really sad when, you know, the, the people that are primarily making the good that is becoming commodified are the ones who are most alienated from their product. Yeah. But being on a record label, doesn't the record label want to see, obviously, success for you, but also for them in a financial way? They do. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful with Solid State Records. They, they've been very good to us and very honest. And our, our manager, Corey, has been such a blessing. And we're very thankful to work with a wonderful agent named Matt Anderson. And so there, there's also a really cool side of the music industry, but definitely... Um, I've seen a lot of pitfalls that artists have come into and that, that we, we try to be kind of wary of, you know. Such as what? Um, I mean, there's some crazy stuff out there. I mean, there's companies that try to make you sign deals with merch where you can only print merch through this thing. And for instance, t-shirt sales are probably 80% of the money that can ever be made for bands like us. A lot of bands give away their merch money to various sources, which is really sad because it's like not only are artists not making money off of like their music, but it's like then they can't even make money off of the T-shirts with their name on it. And uh, it's something that we see a lot. And, uh, you know, just this last week we dealt with a music promoter who tried to steal a lot of money from us. And I think, uh, unfortunately, you have to kind of be on guard against that stuff. Yeah. Definitely going in with eyes wide open. Yeah, I think so a little bit. And you know, I follow the one who said to be uh, innocent as sheep, but uh, shrewd as a serpent. And I think uh, there's really something to that. I think that um, that being a lover of other people does not mean that you're stupid. <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I think for a long time people have associated like, yeah, be like Christ, like just be nice. And, and it's a lot more than being nice. Sometimes 
being angry is being full of love. Many of the songs found on the Nagod Slap from Silent Planet deal with historical issues. Native Blood takes a look into how Native Americans lost their way of life through aggressive expansionism, something that was often done in Christ's name. Planet really surprised me with your full length. The night God slept. 
most of the songs have a female protagonist where they deal with an issue that involves or is relatable to women. You've got to admit, that's a really unusual perspective for a metal album. It is, yeah. (laughs) And what was your reasoning? You know what? It's funny. I did an interview, and she asked me that question. And as I was like halfway through, I realized a big reason why I do this, which I haven't really said in other interviews except for hers yesterday, because um, I kind of forgot about it. And as we were talking, you know, kind of verbal process, I had this memory. I was doing merch for our friends in a band called Phineas. And I was like their merch guy. And um, we were playing with this band, local band. And they were, they were like, this song is about lust. And guys, you know, don't fall into lust and don't date girls who are, you know, like sexually seductive and all that stuff. And then this song was about Bathsheba. And I remember it was like, Bathsheba, um, something like you're going to hell. Like I cast you back to hell, demon Bathsheba. Oh, and it's really? funny how, it's funny how, um, like a lot of people read about like, you know, King David was such a good guy after God's own heart. Right. And, um, he got seduced by Bathsheba and that's kind of the narrative that people pull away from the story where in actuality <laughs> he was a king. He saw her bathing in her own private quarters and decided that he wanted to essentially rape her and kill her husband and take her to be his. And somehow these guys are able to identify more so with King David than with Bathsheba. And that really, that really scares me. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, that's, that's theological misogyny at its finest. And uh, I remember that really hit me like, man, I, I need to do something. I, I, I want to do something different because this misogyny thing runs very deep. Um, and, and it's across all genres, you know, whether you have bands on one side, you know, like, like the band Attila or something who, uh, you know, he's talking about women as if they're commodities, you know what I mean? And uh, kind of using humans for what they can do for you sexually. Or you have bands on this Christian side who are talking about women only as like they're either sluts or they're God-fearing wives. And either way, you're just not really allowing women to be human and not like actually have a story. And so I, I, I guess I sort of... Uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different. And to be honest, I, I never really thought that we would reach a level of popularity where anyone would ask me a question about that. So, <laughs> But here we are, so I'm very, very thankful for that. And of course, the issue is that women get put into situations that are not of their own making. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what happened on, for instance, this last year's Vans Warp Tour was very eye-opening for a lot of people realizing, like, how rape culture is alive in every genre of music, including this genre of music, and how women, you know, whether they're in bands or managers or agents or doing merch, uh, very often are expected to do certain things for men or something like 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 it's their job as a woman, and it's it's disgusting and it's wrong. And I'm glad that people like Buddy from Senses Fail are speaking out against it. Um, I'm glad that people are are really just not having a tolerance for it.
I'm glad that people are, are really just not having a tolerance for it, whether it's, you know, guys with underage girls or whether it's um, just the language that we use that very much is hateful towards not only women, but also, you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, uh, transgender people, you know. And how do you find Christians as general tend to treat people from the LGBTQ society? Um, you know, I, I'm not going to definitely hop on a train and say that the average Christian is hateful of people who are LGBTQ. Because I, I don't think that's true. I, I think there are Christians who are hateful and non-Christians who are hateful of people. And that's really wrong. And that's a sickness. And that's, that's a really sad thing to see. Um, I, I, I think that the average Christian is often maybe confused uh, that, you know, people don't have a straight sexual orientation. I think a lot of Christians talk about being gay in the abstract, like, do gay people go to heaven? Or they, they talk about it like a concept or something, which is really sad because gay people are people, you know, they, they are human beings. Christians often talk about homosexuality in the abstract because they don't know that they have a ton of gay friends. They, they just might not know it. They might be completely oblivious to it. You know, I mean, I was raised to believe that less than 1% of the population could identify as LGBTQ, and that's just not true. But I, I was taught that as a young child growing up in a Christian school that, like, it's a very weird thing, and, like, be careful if you ever encounter them. And it, it was very othering. You know, it's very much like they're not part of our in-group. You know, it's unfortunate that some Christians have decided it's, like, a primary sin or something like it's it's like you got murder and you have being gay or something as if being gay is an action you know like as if like people choose to be which i think is something that a lot of christians still believe is that, that it's a conscious decision you know there's no evidence of and i think is untrue and that, that that's really part of the hatefulness is that assuming that like you know, these people are choosing to be different or something, um, which, first of all, I think we can celebrate their difference. And second of all, I don't believe that it's a choice for a lot of people. I think a lot of people are, are born in that way. And I think God makes people that way. And that's obviously something that a lot of Christians would not be happy with me saying. But I've met a lot of gay people who are, I think, very healthy in their sexuality, very, very full of love, very full of life frankly, have a healthier sexuality than, than most straight people I meet. You know, when the divorce rate in North America is somewhere floating around 50% range for evangelical Christians, I think it's safe to say that none of us have sexuality figured out in an incredibly healthy way. <laughs> I think a lot of Christian churches are really living in a bit of a cloistered community where they yeah. really just don't associate with people outside of their own intimate group. I agree. And, and I think as a Christian, we're called to intentional diversity. That is intentionally getting outside of what's comfortable and like finding people um, who are, you know, kind of set out in the margins and to identify with them through solidarity, through common experience, through relationships. And so I think unless you're intentionally trying to get outside of your bubble, whatever bubble that is, you know, even if you're an atheist, vegan, uh, crust punk band, you know, you have to choose to identify with people outside of what group you're in, you know. And I think that that's a choice that all humans need to make to be better humans and, and better um, citizens of the world. And unfortunately, it's very easy for Christians because it's a large, um, dominant culture. It's very easy for them to never get outside of it, you know. Depths 2 from Silent Planet. 
earlier on we were talking about the point of women being put into situations silent planet really takes a harsh shot at sex trafficking on xx city grave yeah it's a you know i think that's probably my favorite song because i think i was in a pretty emotional pretty angry place um uh, you know, the pastor named Mark Driscoll. I read a lot of things that he said <laughs> in uh, excerpts from his book about women and his wife and, and about, you know, the place of women in church. And I'm just really fed up with biblical illiteracy. I'm really fed up with, like, pastors who, like, clearly don't know how to read the Bible correctly. They assume that a letter from Paul to Timothy about, like, a particular group of women can somehow be like blindly put on all women who will ever exist in the world. And that's not how the Bible should be read because that's imposing your own agenda on a letter that Paul wrote Timothy in the first, second century. So that, that sort of thing gets me kind of frustrated and uh, I hate to see hatefulness. Um, And, and, you know, people assume like, yeah, well, the Bible is a hateful book, but no, it's not. Humans have made it hateful, but it is not hateful. Um, it's, it's an incredible work of 66 different books. And it's, uh, it's something that I guess to defend uh, means that I must offend those who use it to their liking, such as, you know, yesterday's in America was Christopher Columbus Day. And Christopher Columbus is a guy who sold nine-year-old girls as sex slaves and justified it with biblical scriptures. And then I post about it on our Facebook, this is wrong, and people get mad at me. <laughs> you know, apparently Christopher Columbus is, is someone they, they grew up looking up to. Um, but eventually you just get so tired of like the lies and the crap and you just speak out. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do here is it's not about popularity, about what people think of us. It's genuinely like, uh, getting frustrated with the lies and wanting the truth, you know, and, and I hope my frustration doesn't ever become such that I can't love people that I'm frustrated with. I've learned for my own sake of mental health, I need to speak, (laughs)
the horror of sex trafficking on XX City Grave. Three of the songs on The Night God Slept, Dark Strand, yeah. Tiny Hands, and Wasteland, all include a historical context, you know, they looking did, at yeah. issues of war from a female victim's viewpoint. That's yeah. really digging deep. Thank you. And why do that? Well, I, um, I wanted to write about, I guess you would say, people who have been alienated. You know, I think most of our understanding about things such as World War II, like those three songs, are around are about, you know, the battles, the generals, who won, who lost, Hitler, um, Eisenhower, uh, you know, Roosevelt, Stalin. You, you hear about all these different people um, in World War II, and you don't really hear about the common people. And I was really influenced by a book from Howard Zinn called The People's History of the United States. He, he talks about history on a more grounded level, you know, history for, for people who actually experienced it, not just like the few really famous people that had a lot of power. And uh, I, I found out with these different tragedies, and, and I think they can all teach us lessons about our own humanity, about how the, the faith that we hold, about how we view people with different religions, different faiths, different races, and how we interact with our world through these tragedies. And so those stories were kind of picked and um, uh, deal with those different things. And they're, I know they're meaningful to some, you know, for like that guy in... Uh, AP Magazine didn't like it, so, you know, you never know. Uh, but I, I'm really thankful that we were able to do it. Oh, there's always people with no taste, right? <laughs> right, yeah. They're, they're wrong. He's right. No, yeah, it's, uh, it's fine. I certainly did not, as you can imagine, write our album thinking like, man, this is going to be for everyone. Like, I, I was pretty dang aware that uh, not everyone would be into it. Um, I figured people would be offended. People, I don't want to deal with that. I, I want to, you know. I want more songs about breakups, which is great. Cause, you, know, you can go find a lot of songs about breakups out there. And I encourage people to um, turn on the radio. You'll hear about breakups. Uh, so, Especially you know, country just, music. Right, yeah. Gosh, man, country, that is truly a bizarre industry. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm really thankful uh, that we were able to do that, that, um, that God gave us opportunities to put it out on a label that would spread it and, just I'm, I'm thankful in general to be able to play these songs every night. You know, these songs do mean a lot to me. And sometimes touring can feel like, you know, nonstop. It can sometimes feel a little tiring. You know, it feels like a little much. And, and um, these songs every night, I, I feel honored. And I don't even feel worthy to talk about these people. And, and these, these women who lived and died before me, who I'll never meet, at least on this side of heaven, are kind of what inspired me to keep doing it.
insert that silent planet did for the night god slept yeah. you also included references for each of the song lyrics yeah was that trying to get people to dig deeper yeah yeah exactly i think i know that there's certain albums that really changed my life that i love like pretty much every album that under oath put out and it's one of those things where you know every time they'd put out a live dvd or a video or whatever i'd be so thrilled because it, it was just something more to add to the story, you know, to get deeper. And so I just kind of on the get-go of putting out this album, you know, was hoping to almost show people my notes, you know what I mean? Not keep it to myself, but just open source. Like, this is what I was thinking about. This is a direct quote, or this is a paraphrase, or this is heavily influenced, and just kind of show people what literature, you know, has, has moved me to write these things. And it's interesting because it covers such a broad spectrum. I mean, you're going from historical books to Edgar Allan Poe to Me Without You. Yeah. It's, you know, as as eclectic as anyone's mind is. I think if anyone's being honest with themselves lyrically and they look at, like, why did I write this? Like, I think everyone could footnote their lyrics. You know, everyone could look and say, like, I wrote this because I saw this or whatever. It's just something that I think isn't done as widely for, you know, whatever various reasons. I'm, I'm sure a big one is, you know, people maybe just ha- hasn't like occurred to them. They could, but it's, it's definitely a fun thing for me. And it's a way to invite people into the process. You know, my goal with Silent Planet is to have kind of open hands instead of closed fists. Do you ever think you'd be just as comfortable authoring a book as you would with writing song lyrics? I feel like I'm not a good enough author to fully write. I've, I've been working on some stuff and, I think I will author and hope maybe Lord willing publish a book someday um, in the maybe mid to near future. But that, that's still a little bit off for me. I think I have some growing and some some kind of reshaping of my mind to do before I'm fully ready for that.
This is Garrett Russell, and you are listening to The Antidote. Thank you so much, lovers. Wasteland from Silent Planet was another song dealing with war on the Night God Slept album, where the song describes the physical devastation the Soviet Union suffered during World War II and its spiritual devastation due to Stalin's attempt to rid the country of God. Well, I really enjoyed my talk with Garrett Russell of Silent Planet. I mean, it's always cool to speak with an artist who won't be stifled speaking about what really concerns them. Well, next week on The Antidote, we have no heavy topics because we're going to be celebrating Christmas with some traditional and some not-so-traditional songs, and I'm even going to hunt out a couple of oddball Christmas tunes as we celebrate Christ's birth. We'll finish off The Antidote with The Well from Silent Planet, but next is the last of our conversation with Garrett, and we'll see you next week. One last thought. With the music of Silent Planet dealing with evil, what do you think society needs to do to change that? I think people need to recognize that the the violence and the social issues that we see that are always out there, you know, in some other city or in some other country, that they exist in our heart. I think that we need to recognize how we contribute to evil. We need to think about the things that we buy, the, the products that we consume, where we spend our money who we're friends with, how we treat people that we walk by. I I, I do think, because I've learned this from Jesus, that every action that we create will have a ripple effect and that no longer, because of Jesus, is there a distinction between divine or what is, you know, of God and what is eternal and of the banal or, or what is, you know, just fleeting. I think that Jesus reconciled both the temporal and the eternal with death on the cross and tearing the veil into two and so i think that we're called as humans to see the divinity in every situation and to believe that that god is working through every fabric and every molecule of the universe and for us to kind of i guess fall in love with life again yeah the antidote's been meeting with garrett russell of silent planet man this has been just awesome love the conversation Thank you so much, Dave. I, I, I love to be a part of this. Thank you for having me on the on, under the station. And it's just really meaningful to be able to be a part of this conversation. And I genuinely feel honored to be a part of it. So thank you so much, Dave.
Bitch, yeah.